Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good Brendan Billy. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break, and as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. It's another big week of European action for the club as they fly out to the Caucasus to take on Carabag. We will of course be discussing that one as well as reliving the highs of the Brederit tie at a positively charged Petaudry and the lows of a cup exit on the plastic at Starks Park. Joining me to do all that this week are the usual suspect of Martin Clunas, the welcome return of Sean O'Duffy and the eagerly awaited debut of Philip Mayer. And Philip, we'll turn to you first. And we'll turn to that game at Pataudry on Thursday. A curiously cautious first 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think the word I would use to describe the first half was definitely shaky. I think Gallagher especially kind of surprised me with how, how nervous he looked during the first half. And I think he was rightfully hooked at half time. But on paper, it didn't seem like it was a team of nerves. I mean, it really looked like he was going with a 3-4-3, which looked... Well, would be the formation you would choose for a team that was extremely confident going forward. But we just didn't seem to create anything in the first half it was it was odd it was really weird considering what we'd seen obviously in previous European games and also during the start of the league campaign we know that they caused us problems when we played a back four in Iceland they were getting in behind that um, into that area vacated by the fullbacks quite frequently with their cross field switches you could understand the reasoning at least yeah no absolutely I mean um I think, think switching to the three at the back made sense, especially, like I said, I think everyone would agree this season we look more of an attacking team than a defensive team. Um, so I think it definitely made sense for the players we had at our disposal. I think for, for a team that's predominantly part-time, it would be sort of causing us that much nerves and that much um, issues at the back is, I would say, slightly worrying to an extent. Martin, how much do you think the uh, the actual match situation played into that sort of indecision that we had? You know, the fact that we were 3-2 up, we didn't need to do anything, but in not needing to do anything, we almost caused ourselves some problems. We weren't quite sitting on the lead, but then we weren't quite pushing for that goal to kind of finish the game off as well. We coped, we coped well enough with what the, what Breda Blick had offered, and I, I don't think we we looked we looked no second best in any kind of way. It was no surprise when he made a couple of changes at half-time. So, you know, um, for the, the, at least the second time we've seen with Stephen Glass, um, a, a half-time switch, a quite dramatic half-time switch, um, taking advantage of the fact that there's the option still for five substitutes in these matches in Europe. Change of formation, 
uh, and a couple of player changes as well. And, um, you know, you talk about getting lucky with substitutions when one of the guys you brought on produces a, um, and this is other people's words for it, not mine, as a Dan-style run, within 90 seconds of coming on, your luck's in, isn't it? He's made a point of saying that he does have good players to bring on in the subs bench. I've always been very complimentary of Glass, in fact, that he does make changes if he thinks it's not working quite quickly. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to it later, which I thought he didn't really do against Wraith Rovers, which I was kind of confused at. But anyway, moving back to Thursday and previous games in Europe, he has made those changes when he feels like they need to get, you know, attacking more, get that goal to make sure that we are um, through to the next round. And it, it completely made sense. And the second half was a completely different game, in my opinion. Absolutely was, uh, Phil. But of course, completely different game, very much on the front foot. And yet still, we can see the goal and we could quite easily, conceivably, have gone 2-1 down. And I think there would have been real nerves around the stadium had that happened. I've got to give him plaudits for his half-time changes. He definitely, I think, almost took took Reid by, by surprise by going attacking. Typically, you know, a team that's holding the lead in a European title go defensively at half-time. So I think it was quite bold of Glass to bring on the likes of Ojo and McLennan at half-time to kind of change the dynamic. Like you say, there was a couple of dodgy moments defensively. Um, I think as we've seen in previous games as well as what we've seen in the Wraith game is the long ball just seems to totally catch us out every single time. Um, and that's where a majority of their chances came from. A long ball causes a sort of defensive lapse of concentration and um, gets them in. Yeah, some really dodgy moments at the back for us that game. And like say, unsurprisingly, we could have really been 2-1 down at one point. Yeah, I made repeated references to gambling on the debrief on Thursday, and that's kind of what I meant in that, you know, with the match situation as it was, he didn't have to go attacking, but in terms of the actual game and the way that was going, it was the right thing to do, I think, to try and wrestle back the momentum in the game. But obviously in terms of the situation and the tie, he didn't he didn't need to do... It wasn't that he got lucky, it was a conscious decision. Ojo made an impression, and Conor McLennan made an impression as well, Martin, to be fair. Yeah, they both did make a good impression. Um, obviously, Ojo, no. Ojo is the eye-catching one. I thought Conor McLennan really did, really did put in a good shift as well. And he, it's what we want from him. No, we've we've said before on here that you know we need big performances from him. We want him to be a good big player for Aberdeen. Uh, if he can, if he can keep, you know, this season, he's going to have to keep up that type of performances, particularly if we're going to have any. Um, injury problems, which I'm sure we'll come to as well, then we need him to be um, a, a big part of our squad this season. I mean, Shona, overall, it, it was a feel-good evening. I think, you know, the fact that obviously it's the first time that uh, we had an uncapped crowd in the stadium, over 15,000 there. Are we, were we maybe getting a little bit carried away in the aftermath just with that, with that buzz about the game? Because as much as Brera Black deserved our full respect and to treat them seriously because of particularly because of the result in the previous round, it's still a pretty limited team. It was two good victories. It's unusual that you get that in European title, win both games. But are we getting ahead of ourselves a bit? It was, it was a tremendous tie to get at this stage, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's been said quite a, a few times that quite a big are going to be <laughs> quite a difficult side. I think they've, they've made... The yeah group stages of football in seven straight years, um, so they are going to be quite a tough opponent. I mean, you're right to get a little bit carried away though. It's nice. European <laughs> nights at Batodri are so fun. I still remember when we made the group stages. Well, actually, past the group stages 
under Jimmy Calderwood all those years ago. So it would it it's it's natural to get carried away. Although I do think we might need to rein ourselves in a little bit for this tie because I think it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, there's, there's very little beat to it, is it, Philip? That uh, that sort of warm early summer, e- uh, late summer evening in front of a big crowd at Pataudry and um, just come out of there with that buzz and who we're going to play next, how's that going to go? You know, just the excitement that um, we've been missing being out, uh, being away from the game for so long. It was it was a, a really enjoyable night. I mean, I I brought my girlfriend along with me, my dad, because um, she'd never been to Pataudry before, so decided to drag her along. Thankfully, she, you know, she got to see a win, which was quite nice. But um, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, you can really only beat who's in front of you. So I think um, it's kind of unsurprising that we're all um, on this Dons are winning a lot kind of hype. Obviously, I think it would have been a different game had we drawn someone who was a bit more sort of seasoned European veterans like Karawag. But, um, but I, I think nothing should really take away from the fact that I think over the two legs, I think we looked... Maybe not the best, but I think that's a good sign that we're, we're still managing to win ties when we're not playing at our best. And I think also kind of showed, I guess, the tactical difference that we can hope to expect this season. Um, under glass, you know, being bold in the substitutions and not just sitting on 1-0 leads. Um, so hopefully that can kind of inspire us a bit more going forward. Tell you, that's a good future podcast topic. Interesting, taking along girlfriends or boyfriends to put audio for the first time and just how badly it can go. I was say, it's great that I didn't take her, you know, like a Rangers or Celtic, and um, I chose a more team first match, I think. Um, obviously, I've been to Petrodri way before I met Andy, but uh, our first game together was a 4-0 loss to Celtic, so we've not got a good, a good record at Petrodri at all. <laughs> yep, feel-good evening. Um, one of the reasons behind it being a feel-good evening, obviously, was the fact that uh, the Red Shed were in full voice for the 90 minutes, Martin. That's clearly going to be a positive thing in the ground this year. I don't know if it was by design, but obviously shooting towards the red shed in the second half as well. Any any of these little things I've said that can that can improve the atmosphere, um, I'm absolutely one hundred percent for that. No, the noise coming from there it encourages or the rest of the stadium to join in as well. You know, we spoke up before about when we had you know people up in the top of the, the Dick Donald stand, and then when people at the fence. And then we had people in the Y, and it was all split up. You know, and the idea is if you can bring all those people together, plus more, which they've clearly done, it's going to improve. It's going to improve the atmosphere, um, and it's, it's worked so far. It's been brilliant. You know, you want to be in a noisy stadium. Uh, you want to be there for the you know people supporting the team, and things are going well at the moment. Touch would be well, but I know I don't imagine we're going to win every game at home this season. But when you've got a good atmosphere. It makes it just it makes that more a little bit more enjoyable to be there as well. Um, rather than st- seasons gone by when we've sat in what has been like a morgue at times. So yeah, I'm all for it. It's brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. You no, know, all credit to the guys that are are the, are the kind of the, the, the forerunners and getting it going. Do you want a hospital pass, Martin? Uh, go on, give me a hospital pass then. Go on. What do you make of them bringing out the Durant song 15 minutes into the game? Uh, you know what? It was an evening kickoff. Uh, some drink had been taken. Um, let's. I'll, I'll just put that down in a case of boys will be boys. Okay, uh, you obviously not want to slag it on Twitter, are you? Um, <laughs> the other, the other thing that came out before the match, Shona, was the issue of ticket prices. It was quite expensive to go last Thursday. There's no question about that. I don't think it's. I think ranging from twenty eight to thirty two pounds. That feels a lot, 
And it's it's interesting what they're positioning themselves against. You know, you could look at the fact that I think it's 15 quid to go to the Cove Rangers game. Maybe that's one comparison. Or you could look at the fact that um, every single gig and event coming up at the Tekka out at uh, Bucksburn it's going to cost you at least £43 as the cheapest event ticket for anything that goes on there. And that includes folk basically recording podcasts and taking them on tour. I mean, who would pay to sit through the recording of a podcast, honestly? Going out, going to an event, it's expensive these days, but I think there was a general consensus that it was a bit too much. And obviously the first game back on Capped, there was an opportunity, I think, there to, to reintroduce people to the game, try and make sure it was a full house because a far, far bigger turn-off for people in the past 18 months wasn't necessarily the, the football being pretty dire, pretty dull. It's the fact that they've got out of the habit of going to the football and I think that's really dangerous for any football club to have its customers get out of that habit. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, that's something I've talked about quite a lot over the pandemic is that people you know, might be quite comfortable now watching the football from home or, you know, elderly people might not feel like, you know, people who have always gone to a game on a Saturday may feel like they don't want to go to a ground yet because of, you know, being close to people or however they just don't feel comfortable. So I think the club kind of missed an opportunity there by not making the ticket prices maybe that little bit cheaper, you know, maybe doing an incentive for families, because if you're thinking of like two two adults and two children to go see a football game on a Thursday night Petrodri, that that's a lot of money to, to family. So I do think they missed a bit of the boat there, but at the same time, I understand where they're coming from, because it has been a long time without fans, and the club has not been taking in a lot of money, and obviously yes, there has been funding, but missing out on the supporters coming in every week has been a big loss for every club. But it's not just Aberdeen that's facing this issue because if you look at Hibs the other day, I know the two sec- two stands are closed for maintenance, but they couldn't even fill the other two stands they had free because they were charging so much for a League Cup game against a uh, championship side. So it's maybe something the clubs will have to look at if this continues on in the season. But I-, I think the fans will come back. It's just all that bit up in the air at the moment because we are still living in a pandemic, even though it seems that the restrictions are easing. Yeah, and I don't think that can be discounted. I think absolutely there will still be people for whom it is too early. I mean, one of the guys we regularly sit with, I say we, Martin and I don't sit together, God no, um, that I normally sit with at the game. He didn't go last Thursday because he was meeting his, he was going down to see his elderly folks on the, on the Sunday and he just didn't want to take that risk. But Philip, I, I do wonder if Powerboat Rob is, is sat there thinking, you know, we did really well to get 15,000 at those ticket prices. Because in the past, when we've reduced ticket prices, we haven't necessarily got the extra folk in the ground that we might have hoped for. Yeah, I mean, I think there's sort of two edges to that sword. Um, sword. I think we knew we were going to get an influx of people coming back to football because it was back. Um, so I think it was a good opportunity to, I don't want to say capitalise, because that makes Aberdeen sound like a really scummy club, but capitalise <laughs> on the fact that loads of people were going to show up and you could get away with charging a bigger price. But you also look at other clubs that had more glamorous ties than us, like St Johnston, um, playing Galatasaray. They gave free tickets to all their season ticket holders, which admittedly they've maybe only got 2,000, 3,000 of, um, compared to, I think, Aberdeen's sitting at watch now, 9,000 maybe. But even then, I think an adult ticket was £25 and a concession was 15 So, I mean, for, for a glamour tie to be able to go and see you know, some of Europe's better players... Um, on display, obviously none comparing to Ryan Hedges, but 
some of Europe's better players on display for for fifteen pound isn't too bad, I would say. We've already been told from um, our chairman himself that uh, they're going to review the prices ahead of the playoff, Martin. I mean, what do you think would be appropriate for that? Is it absolutely imperative to try and get that full house to um, to maybe bring it down a, a bit, or because they charged those prices for the round before against a team from Iceland? Are they going to rely on the fact that hopefully the tie is obviously still alive? That's going to be key to getting a good crowd in the ground. But are they going to rely on the fact that this is a chance to actually make the group stages and that people are going to come along for that? Yep, it all depends on Thursday's result. I mean, if, God forbid, if the tie's, you know, looking beyond reach, then they're going to struggle. Though that's obviously common sense. So you, I would like to sit, think they would maybe be a bit more reasonable with the pricing. If you're not a season ticket holder, £32 is a lot of money for football, for an adult ticket anyway. That's what we, you know, the couple of guys that sat with us in the South Stand were. Um, that's a lot of money to go come and, come and see Aberdeen, I think. You know, I mean, I... I kind of I don't like the fact that kind of football's getting out of hand. No, it's we're, thankfully we're not getting out of hand the way that it is in England. I know you've made the point so many times, and I do absolutely agree with it that you know taking the prices down doesn't automatically bump up the crowd. That's the problem. So it's it's really imperative that we get a we get a creditable, good result on Thursday, um, and then they can then they can look at it and they can make they'll probably make a decision because you would like to think. We can get a really big crowd. Dare I say, you no, know, close to being a sellout. If you know, even if you, even if it's no, I think maybe a fiver cheaper. Twenty-seven and thirty-two for the South Stand is, you know, I mean, I've said before the, the South Stand. No, I love it, but it, no, it's it's a it's a bit of a dump. Um, and so, but it's our dump, um, and I think it's a lot of money to ask people to pay um, to sit there uh, to, to watch Aberdeen, which you know, you got to think about the levels of football we're watching. Yeah. Fix the seats, if you're listening, lads. Fix the seats. Yeah, fix fix the seats would be a start. I mean, yeah, it's just we've we've heard it so many times about managed decline in the south stand, and it's no, it's not nothing's been done to it. No, I don't know if the club is know what WD forty is, but if they want to go around the seats and spray a bit of WD forty so the seats go back up and down without you having to force them, um, that would maybe be a start. Um, I was obviously being facetious, but um, I mean, let's be honest, they they spent nothing on that ground for. 25 years. Uh, Philip, sorry, you want to come in there? Yeah, I was just about to say, like you're saying about the sort of um, the feel-good factor of the tie being alive, um, we'll get more bums in seats. Um, I think one of the, the moments I quite enjoyed, um, kind of, I guess, ironically, because we haven't done the full job, but was um, at full time uh, during the last leg was that uh, the whole of South Sound just started singing along a European song, which I was like, oh, this feels quite nice. And then I had the crashing reality of, we've not qualified yet. This is daunting. No, but I mean, you know, if you consider that the last, if you genuinely think the last time we made Europe was 2008, it's, it's just not the reality of what European competition is for us anymore. Take your enjoyment where you can get it, I think. But um, yeah, of course, three qualifying rounds to get into the third rate tournament in Europe. It, it does make you wonder sometimes, you know, what exactly we are getting excited about. And we'll talk about this a little bit after, you know, when we talk about the race game. You know, there was a chance for an actual trophy, and that's really what football should still be about. We're not going to win the Europa Conference League. We're probably not going to win the league. It would be a very long shot. League Cup was definitely something we could have won, even though, again, you're probably still looking at maybe 12, 14 to 1 kind of idea. Anyway, moving on to that Wraith game. Deep breaths. 
seven changes, Shona. Um, we knew it was coming. We'd had the same last weekend at uh, Livingston. Livingston was a let off and it really kind of was snatching that victory at the death um, and if Livingston was a warning it was a warning that wasn't heeded I'm a bit confused this one because I would normally say seven changes is too much however it wasn't too much in the first half because it worked in the first half but I feel like the second half we came out a completely different side and it was almost pedestrian and I just don't really know what happened it was almost like either Derek McInnes morphed back into Stephen Glass's body for the second half, or <laughs> Space Jam, you know, in terms of, like, the talent got sucked out with him. I was so confused, because I didn't really understand it. And I just think it was a bit too, yeah, it was a bit too safe. Our attacking just wasn't happening. And then Rafe Rovers just wanted it more, and they capitalised on two chances that came their way. And um, I think it is probably the biggest game Glass has lost this year because, yeah, you might not win the League Cup, but it's something that we could win. And like you say, I'm not sure we're... We could go further in Europe, but realistically, we're not going to win it. So it's something that we've missed out on again with a domestic trophy in my eyes, and it's a big loss. And I'm maybe venting my frustration because I'm still feeling a bit rubbish from the vaccine, slash I watched it after I had it. (laughs) But but Sean is right to an extent, Philip, in that... We did go in at halftime 1-0 up. We did have an element of control. But looking back, it was control without any real penetration whatsoever, was it? It was far too much safe stuff. And I was told Dylan McGeer responsible for quite a lot of that. There was a, you know, a lot of flashbacks to the last season, just comfortable passing around the back three. You know, which is fine. You're 1-0 up. Great. But again, just that imperative to keep attacking, keep attacking and get that second goal just seemed to be lacking. Yeah, no, I, I would um, definitely say that's a fair assessment of the game. Um, I think first half was all Aberdeen, and second half was all Wraith. It was kind of a game of two halves. But, um, yeah, like you say, McGeeck, um I think, has kind of made his career out of being a safe midfielder. Um, he is quite comfortable on the ball and quite comfortable in distributing it around his around the midfield and around the defence. I don't want to discredit Jet because he scored an absolute belter. But I think that's kind of where having Jet up top on his own, I think, can hurt us. Because he just, he's he's not a closing attacker. I mean, he's never been a closing attacker. He's he's more of a luxury forward. Um, And I think if we had someone up with Jet to do the closing, I think we definitely could have maybe fired at home a bit more in the first half. Where are you standing, Martin? Do you think it was rotation to blame or complacency? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, I think seven changes is far too many. Maybe maybe the mistake comes from the fact that he didn't make a change at half time. That seems to always always do well for him. Uh, so maybe next time you should just make a token half time sub. I don't know, but like like Philip says there, McGee is just you no. Know, he's a tidy player, but against against Wraith Rovers, you know we're probably looking for a little bit more. And I, I know it's 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 very easy for me to say no disrespect to Wraith Rovers, but. No, we should be beating Wraith Rovers. So that's every disrespect to Wraith Rovers. For being honest, though, we should be we should be beating a team like that. You know, we've we've got a, a big squad with a lot of money that's been spent on it. You know, the manager came out before the game and you know he, he said all the right things about how he's putting out a strong a, a team strong enough um, to beat them. Uh, well, well, the team wasn't strong enough to beat them, and that's what's that's come. That's what's frustrating. You know, he'll be regret you'll be regretting that a, a few more a couple more first team players. Uh, just to get the you know, get the game out of sight, and then you can think about making changes because 
it's the cup. You know, it's it's a trophy. You know, we we all saw how how mad everybody went when we won it the last time. Uh, that you know, and trophies are really important. You know, we've been so close. As much as you no, know, I and others can be wide about the time. You know, the time Derek McInnes was at a club, he got us really, really close at times to to to, to get into finals and winning trophies. And we want to get there, and so that's what hurts more. And I think that's what hurt more most about yesterday is that you know a game that was a winnable game, uh, and we were completely in control of at half time. The team comes out in the second half and it's just night and day. Uh, all the good things that they did in the first half just evaporated. Wraith Rovers just, they managed to they managed to just, they got themselves into the game. They were playing, no, they, they completely, I thought, like, you know, getting the ball out wide, they completely exposed this. Um, and, you know, it was actually credit to, credit to John McGlynn because he saw, he saw a weakness there, particularly with, with Jack Gurr, and he exposed it and, they managed to by the t- they managed to get the two goals and by that point it was too late. Yeah, sure. The game plan against Stephen Glass's Aberdeen, we already see it. it it's going to be to get quick ball up into that um, space where the fullbacks either are or aren't, and um, try and unsettle us that way. But are you perhaps more worried at the fact that when the changes came and some of the more senior players came on, they weren't able to turn the tide? I did speak about this earlier and. I just don't know if it was maybe maybe all a little bit too late. It just felt, you know, Wraith had, um, you know, basically tried to shop shop. And they, they and going forward, it looked like they were going to score a third one rather than us equalising. That's what it looked like to me. To Even when our, the most more senior players came on. Um, I think we are still a couple of players short. I think we need to look at getting a defender in. I think we need another, another attacking uh, forward to really have that... A, that squad complete, in my opinion. I just, I don't actually, I don't actually know where to even go with the second half because it just, it just felt very uncharacteristic of how Stephen Glass has been managing games recently. It, it was quite poor sub management in my, in my opinion. Because, but that, again, that's not really like him. So I was all, I was just already confused by it all. And yeah, it was slightly concerning that they didn't manage to get the equaliser or even make an impact but I mean we were down to nine men at one point so it was always going to be tough A lot of uh, post-match criticism for Jack Gurr the manager made an impassioned defence of him um, in the close season Philip was he hung out to dry as much by the tactics as any anything else? I mean I think I think in a way I mean I was um, I, I have to admit I was one of the people that when Jack Gurr signed I was very much um, not singing his praises shall we say and I think at times against Wraith he was showing to be the the defender we thought we were getting, um, but I don't think that's entirely his fault. One of my biggest gripes in modern football is zonal marking. I just hate it, and I don't know why any team would employ it. Um, and especially when we've got someone like Alan Russell, who's a set piece specialist in our team, who probably makes systems to attack zonal defenses. Why we would choose to employ one? Um, and I think that was really really the fault of the first goal um, was zonal defense. I think the second goal was was totally Gar's fault. He was just too slow in reacting. Um, and Sonata was alive in the box, but yeah, I've just I've just not been impressed with him even outside the Wraith game. I just he reminds me very much of John Gallagher in the sense of he'll run, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, certainly not alone in blotting his copybook. However, in terms of the game plan to get through the tie without um, putting too much too many minutes into the legs of the key players, that didn't really materialise. And then, of course. 
picked up two serious looking injuries towards the end. As Shona points out, we were down to nine men come the final whistle after Johnny Hayes uh, looks to have picked up a pretty bad looking ankle injury. That appears to be a hamstring injury that Ryan Hedges has. But this is the sort of thing that contributed to a nightmare afternoon, basically, Martin. Yeah, and it's a, I mean that's why I say you know I think that you should start you know start with some of your better players and you, you know you try to get the game out of sight. But having to make changes and put on you know okay put on Scott Brown and Ferguson and all at the same time and then he has to put you know he puts on Ramsey as well and Ramirez. You know you're having to put these guys on and Wraith scored I think right after right after the the, the, the triple sub. You know so you're ready you're ready you're, you're chasing the game anyway because you want to try and get you know I know the winner when at one one. But then you can see it again. You've, it's a, it's a ch- different challenge. You've put your your best so-called best players on, um, and you're you're chasing the game even further. Um, and they're coming in a game where after that goal, Wraith are just going to try and you know sit and they're going to try and counter. Um, and it's up to us to then try and like scrap and break them down. And you know we had a few shots, but they were always seem to be getting blocked. You'll be just and you find yourself it's an absolute disaster to have you know hedges and Johnny Hayes get injured. Had we won the game and those two got injured, it would still be a disaster. Uh, but to be out as well, and you're going to be missing two guys that are, you know, potential match winners um, for the for the tie against Karabag. It's it's just it's just a disaster, and I think you've got to take it more. Now, I'm not I'm not suggesting at all that the manager didn't take a game seriously. Um, I just think that he he underestimated what Wraith and what John McGlynn uh, were capable of. And we've, we've we've really came up came unstuck. I mean, just 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 disastrous. I mean, you see you see him right hedges on crutches, Johnny Hayes with the big the cast on his casting on the stretcher as well, and you're immediately your thoughts go, your thoughts go straight to Thursday and think you know even if these guys can travel you know that's that's a really bad looking thing you know how what kind of scans and that can they get them in time? Um, so it's really just it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, I want to come back, Sean, to that idea of underestimating the opponents because I, I would agree with Martin on, on Sunday. I, I, I think there was a degree of that from from the manager and perhaps even the, the Sunday before at Livingston. I think he seems to think that w- we should be able to impose our game when we go away from home on the opposition. Now, that's that's a good thing to, to believe in your team, that they're capable of doing that. But it is early into his reign, it is early into his season, early into a lot of these players' time with us. Would it make sense to be a bit more pragmatic? Certainly one of the things that um, made Dirk McInnes' time here a relative success, um, statistically at least, was the fact that he was able to go away from home and his away record was the best that an Aberdeen manager has ever had. Glass has been very clear, as I've said from the get-go, how he wants to play football, but... It's like you say. It's very early on in his, you know, time as as boss. You know, and he's relatively new at it as well. You know, his previous experiences, obviously, in the states with um, Atlanta. So when you go to these oppositions as well, you know, Rafe Rovers were almost um, competing. You know, to to get a place in the in the Premier Premiership last season. Like and Livingston, you know, have done wonders under David Martindale since you know he came in. And he knows that as well because he played them last season too. So I, it's it's a 50-50 thing for me. Obviously, you want to impose your own sort of style and that is great. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you're doing your job away from home because that's when, you, you know, you need to have both records being quite consistent. Or it's not, it, yeah, it'd be great that you're doing well at home, but you need to also back that up with the way of results as well. And you're right, Derek McKinnis did do that a lot of the time because he knew what to do and he wasn't so 
and I'm not saying Grass is disrespectful of, the rep- of opponents at all. I don't think that that's the case. He, he's he, he know, he's aware of what both oppositions um, in Livingston and Ray Rovers were capable of. I just think it's maybe he's just a bit I don't know young young in his thinking. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Wait and see. Well, here's my theory, Philip, in that you really need to try and keep your home fans happy, and I think because of a lot of the dissatisfaction around Eric McInnes eventually was the fact that the home performances were such a trial, such a turgid trial. They were like the sort of thing we saw away from home, just grinding it out, grinding it out. So I think there would be a lot more capital for Stephen Glass if the home performances continue to be expansive, as we've seen. But away from home, who cares? Because the travelling support are all pissed up anyway. So, you know, you just go there and it's, it's a day out and people are getting drunk. Just go there and grind it out. People aren't going to be quite as fussed. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. Um, I, I mean, I, I was one of the many, many people who who really just hated, obviously I need my season ticket out of just blind loyalty, but hated going to Pataudry under McInnes because it was just eye-bleeding. Um, and I will say I have enjoyed watching Glasses Aberdeen playing football going forward. But yeah, like you say, I think um, away from home it could become an issue, I think, as well, because of all the sort of publicity in the media we've done around the club recently a lot of teams know how Aberdeen want to play how Glasses wanting them to play and there's a sort of danger of almost getting in the bracket of the old firm in the sense of we just want to control the game teams are just going to compress us and we will panic and inevitably lose the ball um, and it will cause us problems so I think like you say there's there's no shame in Glass deciding to go long um, I think if it gets if it gets the results people aren't exactly going to criticise them for it so I would I would like to see a bit more of a sort of less narrow-minded approach to following his tactics away from home. Anyway, um, that was Sunday, and I suppose we're kind of holding off on being quite as cutting as we might otherwise be, because, you know, we can see that there might be a bigger picture, and that involves Thursday night in Azerbaijan. So Karabag, if you haven't already listened to it, we have a separate podcast with Daryl Willard. Daryl spent time coaching in Azerbaijan, um, initially with one of Karabag's rival teams before moving on to positions with the Azerbaijani FA, including technical director. So he's walked the walk out there. He's seen where Azerbaijani football's come in from in the last 10 years and seen the rise of Karabag firsthand. So he's an excellent guest, able to tell us what awaits us in Baku on Thursday night. So, within that show, Shona, Daryl suggested that the ideal scenario for Aberdeen would be to keep it tight, try and get out of Baku without conceding. Now, that, in principle, sounds great, but that's not this Aberdeen team, is it? Uh, No, no. And I don't see us not conceding, unfortunately, because even when we, you know, go up to, like, two goals or even... Uh, three like the 3-0 we got up 3-0 against that um, team at Petrodri for the first European night we still managed to concede and it's like we just have this like in ourselves where we kind of just switch off at the back it's like I, it's why I say I think we still need another defender in which I'm quite surprised at because we have like Declan Gallagher in and I just think it's there's just something missing in our defence, and I, I no, I cannot, I cannot see us going over to Baku and not conceding a goal. If we do, I will eat straw. Eat <laughs> straw. That's very specific. 
Very specific indeed. Makes me think that you secretly want to eat straw. Philip, uh, it, is it tactical? Is it personnel? I mean, in terms of the pressure on our defence, it's 13 games under Stephen Glass and just the one clean sheet. He is committed to, to more attacking football. We've seen the dividends at the other end of the pitch. But isn't that just part of the trade-off? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in a way, I think we've somewhat developed this will score one more than you mentality, um, where even if, you know, we concede six, we'll just make sure we score seven. So I think the clean sheet will be a worry, but I don't think it's as much of a worry as last season. Now there's no way goals, thankfully. So um, I think even coming out of there with maybe a 2-1 or even a 1-0 loss still keeps the tie in somewhat contention. Um, but I think it'll definitely be a tougher task than, than the previous two two um, rounds of the, the, the qualifiers. I think they're obviously quite an experienced European side, but they also look like a team that lacks goals. Um, obviously I'm not claiming to be some sort of Azerbaijani footballing expert. I literally just went and looked at their previous fixtures. But... Um, they, they seem to only be scoring one goal if they are scoring in a game, so I think that's the one thing we should hopefully go with a bit of confidence over. Yeah, that's a good point about away goals, because we have uh, quite often, Martin, haven't we, been hamstrung in the home leg of these ties, close European ties by conceding, and it then just changing the dynamic in the, the away game. Even a 1-0 defeat, if it is that, it isn't as catastrophic as it might... You know, that used to be a horrible result, frankly, go and get beat without going away from home in Europe. It's it's not quite so damaging now. There are going to be aspects which are ultimately going to be the same for both teams. You know, the length of travel, and I think in a, to some respects that's been exaggerated anyway. I mean, you know, we went to Tbilisi the other year. This is maybe 45 minutes longer in a, uh, you know, in a charter flight than Tbilisi is. It's, it's not ideal, obviously, but it's, it's not quite as damaging as it might be otherwise. And obviously Karabag have that themselves when they come to Tawdry. Equally, the quality of the pitch is up for debate, but again, that's going to impact both sides. What is undoubtedly going to be a factor for us, and something they'll be much more used to, is going to be the temperature. That will be the thing. I mean, we've spoken about obviously the pitch. I mean, there's been a lot of talk on there was a lot of talk on social media that they might want, might want to move the game. That's not, obviously I believe that's not now going to happen. Which is you've just got to put up with that. The, the travel going over there, I guess, is the thing where you no, know, it's not going to be a big grueling flight. It's not like they're going to have you know two changes and you know, a two and a half hour layover in each each airport or something like that. It's still going to be relatively comfortable for them. But uh, the travel coupled with sort of trying to acclimatise to the heat uh, will be something. But it's just you know, I guess it's just something we'll have to try and try and manage and deal with. I mean, I guess he's not going to keep up the. We're going to try and keep up a high press or some that just because we might come unstuck if we do that. You've just got to be cute and you've got to be clever. That's that's really all you can can, can do. I mean, but it's they will be they will be ready and they'll be they're quite well prepared. I mean, I'm sure they've done their their homework and they'll have seen though that we are defensively a little bit frail. I, I, obviously, I never want Aberdeen to ever win to ever lose a game ever. Sorry, but I know a one 0 defeat over there isn't a disaster. You know, I'd like I'd like us to come back, you know, with a tie at the very least level. Um, I would prefer, you know, I'd prefer that, or God forbid, we actually are winning it. We can, we can, you know, you can afford to go over there, try and keep it tight, and just not concede. As long as we're still in the tie, we can get back to Pataudry, and it's still winnable. Jonah, do we do we overplay the concerns about the heat? Because obviously, early on in, in these run of European games, you know, we had this in Raika when it was even hotter than it's predicted to be on Thursday night in Baku. I think it was 33, 34 degrees that night in Raika, the first time we went there. And of course we went 3-0, but then subsequently back to Raika, very flat, and the performance in Cyprus, 
when we went out to Apollo and Limassol was uh, was equally flat and um, lethargic. So, so, but I'm wondering if if we do overplay the impact of this. I don't know. Anytime it's over like nineteen degrees, I like melt. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not. No, I don't know. I mean, I think it's good that they're they're obviously flying out from tomorrow, um, so they're going a bit earlier. So it might be good for them to try and get used to the heat a little bit um, a couple of days beforehand, which I think is going to be useful to them. But maybe we do. They do this with every every British team, though. When they're you know we're talking about it now with the Qatar World Cup, which is also being played in de- December because of the heat, and it's already talking about how the British teams will not do well in the heat. So <laughs> I don't. I think maybe it's just a re- uh, rhetoric that we always have talked about heat in football if players especially coming from the UK so maybe we do put a bit of emphasis on it but I think it does also play a part because we're we you know aren't quite used to that intensity of you know having to run for 90 minutes which is already you know heat inducing anyway on top of having to play in 29 degrees It's difficult to really judge where we're at at a level against this team isn't it Philip? It's the same in most European ties, to be fair, until you actually play the game, you don't quite know. But on the face of it, and these are famous last words, which will be rammed down my throat on Thursday night, but there doesn't seem to be too much in that Carabag side based on you know the players' history and so on to worry us. Obviously, they're stacked with a lot of Azerbaijan internationals, but the Azerbaijan team have not had any degree of success in um, international competition whatsoever. They've got a, a smattering of foreigners, including the omnipresent Brazilians. But, you know, the, the sort of quality of the guys they're bringing in, uh, I mean, it's um, they've lost their, their their key scorer last season, 18 goals, Mahia Emreli, rather, to Legia Warsaw. They lost another guy to, to a mid-table Turkish side. The guy that got them the winning goal versus the AEL in the, in the last round, um, he joined from the Portuguese second division in the summer. So we're not dealing with a side who, I mean, maybe the comparison is with Kaira Almaty, who were obviously spending huge sums of money to bring in guys that had names across Europe. We're not dealing with that in Carabag, are we? No, I mean, like I said, they're a, they're a side that's not really firing goals in for fun so I don't think we should be too overly worried about their attacking presence but as well I mean um, I believe I've seen a tweet today about them having three of their, their top defenders out for, for months through injury um, so I think that's something as well that like I, like I say we should hopefully use to build a little bit of confidence um, but and this is probably one of our better chances to get through Um you know, we, we could have drawn far worse teams than what we have. I mean, even St. Johnson, I would maybe even argue, has a harder tie than us drawn last. I don't want to go out on a limb and, um, like, my, my drunken tweets um, during the earlier rounds of saying that we're going to do the quadruple. I don't want to go out and say we're away to go and win the Conference League, but, you know, I think we've got... We, we should be confident, anyway, that um, we can at least do something that's um, positive, even if we, we go out with a bit of fight. Martin, um... I think, you know, Phillips pretty much on the money there. What they do have in their favour, though, is a huge advantage in terms of having got through these qualifying rounds. Now, often that was because they dropped out of Champions League qualifying and maybe parachuted into the the final stage of a league route for Europa League qualifying and, and beat other domestic champions to get there. 
But ultimately, they've got through these ties. They've got a history. They know what it's about getting through these games. We don't. And I think that in itself, as well as the fact, obviously, they've had a manager's been in place for 10, 15 years now. They've got a very defined set of playing right the way through the club. Those sort of things are advantages to the Azerbaijanis. It is, yeah. And um, that's just something, obviously, that, that Daryl pointed out to us as well, that you know, when you have consistency, when you have that, where they have the, you know, the, the sort of the cherry pick the best talent from from Azerbaijan, um, they've got you know, a strong, you know, local core, I suppose you would call it. You know, the that consistency of having the you know, sort of the same the same setup year on year on year, um, will will we'll do them well, and that's what's going to see them over the line, having the, and allowing them to have that European experience. Um, where they've had some good, they've had some pretty good results as well, um, and yeah, so they, so they know what's they know the task that's ahead of them when they, when they're going into Europe. They know what they need to do, uh, and they're relatively successful at doing it. Even though we have a lot of European experience, they're slightly ahead of us. So it's a good draw, not impossible draw, but still going to be difficult for us. We don't often do this, but um, let's go around the table. Uh, Shona, are we going to get through? Oh, that's putting me on the spot. I wasn't expecting that one. Um, I hope so, but I think it's going to be very, very tight. I think it'll be a goal in it either way. Philip, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be confident and say, say we'll get through. Um, and I'm even going to be more confident and say we're going to win both legs. Hopefully, <laughs> one 0 and a two-one is what I'm going for. Okay, I would love okay, your confidence. Keep... You've got to be confident at this point. It says a lot that the best manager I've ever seen is McInnes. So, you know, all I've got is confidence to cling on to. Confidence and blind hope. Why stop at 1-0? I mean, you know, 2-3-0, or let's make the second leg academic. Uh, Martin, obviously you're Mr Confidence, you're Mr Positivity, so I kind of know what you're going to head for. Um, yeah, well, if we're, go- if we're going for well predictions, I'll say that we're going to go through on... Well, go th- we're going to go through on a penalty shootout uh, with Jet scoring the winner. <laughs> oh, my heart could not take that. Jet, jet, jet banging a top corner penalty in. Yeah, yeah jet, jet banging one at the top corner in front of the red shed to send us through. There you go. I, I couldn't I'm glad I've had my vaccine this week rather than next week. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to revisiting these at around quarter to seven on Thursday. Um, just briefly before we go, Tynecastle on Sunday, sandwiched in between the two Carabag games. Shona, it feels inevitable we're going to get another raft of changes. Yeah, quite possibly. I'm not, I'm not too sure if we need to make such a big raft of changes as we did last week because uh, that hasn't didn't work so well. But obviously we do have two injuries now to contend with. Um, but you know, Hearts are a team we do love to beat. So um, I'd yeah, hoping that our trend still continues that way. Uh, Philip, there's no question that um, that Hearts are a team we love to beat. Um, but I don't. I feels to be a lot of people have written this game off. Which for a team that we measure ourselves against, and for you know a team that are newly promoted, there was a danger of the, the feel good factor that. It, Blossomed in that first month, evaporating, isn't it? Yeah, I think especially when you look at the league position as it, as it is just now, I think getting a win against Hearts would be quite good since Rangers and Celtic have both dropped points as well. So to have a three point advantage over both of them and Hearts this early in the season um, would be quite good for boosting fan morale. Um, but I suppose feel good factor is one of those things that, that comes and goes in a season with results. 
um, and it can easily be be, be renewed with a, a European qualification or a surprise signing or two um, can, can very quickly help fans fall back in love with uh, the club. Yeah, so I think I remember asking this to Cameron a couple of weeks ago. Um, Martin, would you would you take that devil's deal? Would you accept to defeat a tank castle on Sunday? You want to, you want to win every game, like Philip says. You know, we want to beat Hearts. You know, it really would be good to get to get a positive result against them. It's, it's going to be a long old league season. If I had to, if I had to take a defeat at Tyne Castle, which means that we can get through the tie, I suppose you could twist my arm. Oh, just that my colleague supports Hearts, so I'm all for us beating them on Sunday, just so I can glow on Monday. <laughs> I'm always all for us beating hearts. There's no question about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, as I say, the reaction to yesterday has all, has been tempered, even though it's obviously we, we're still prone to hissy fits on social media. But uh, I don't think it's ever acceptable for Aberdeen to go out to a lower league club, as arrogant as that might sound. But you know, you play yourself in da- into danger by by not taking it quite as seriously as it, as we seemed that we did. We certainly didn't have the the commitment that the home players did. And I think if we go to Tynecastle with that mentality and that attitude on Sunday, it's, it's again, it's a playing into the hands of a team who rely greatly on that kind of um, atmosphere and commitment to get results, at, particularly at home. Anyway, um, we will see how the week plays out. It, these are big, big games for the club. You're right, Philip. Three wins out of three at this stage in the league season. We talk about the feel-good factor evaporating well I mean it, it could just be it could go through the roof this week if it is as you predict uh, a victory and Azerbaijan followed up by three wins out of three in the league then you know things are just going to be absolutely through the roof and no quest, no danger of it being anything but a salary next Thursday and that's a dream scenario and that's obviously what we hope plays out over the next seven days my thanks this week to Philip Mayer thanks for coming on Philip Thank you very much for having me. Just hope the Dons can do the quadruple this season. Might be tricky. Um, you might have to rein yourself into just the travel now, but never mind. Shona, thank you. No, thanks for having me again. Uh, really enjoyed it. Martin Clunas, thank you very much as ever. Thanks for listening. Two big games this week. What can I say? But come on, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>